Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, Interim Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the President and CEO of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. Hi, Bill. Welcome back from all your travels. Yes, it's nice to actually be back in Minnesota. I'm not sure where my brain is. I have a new watch that tells me <laughs> how well I've adjusted to my jet lag. So I could look at that. It tells me how many hours ahead or behind my body clock is, but oh. I'm not going to worry about that. So yeah, it's good to be back. You're probably still in European time, so thank you for being awake and talking to us today. There is a lot going on, as you know, in terms of FDA and updates on proposed regulations for lab-developed tests, so I thought that would be a great topic to just delve right into. Yeah, no, it's been you know something I was watching during my travels, whether or not there would be proposed rule from FDA to regulate laboratory developed tests would be released from the White House Office of Management and Budget or OMB, where it would have to be assessed for financial impact. The sense was that needed to happen before the end of September, and it did, right? I yeah. think last week it was released. And so uh, now that means it will be published in the Federal Registry, I believe, on Tuesday, October 3rd, which when we're taping, this would be tomorrow. And after that, then it's officially part of the public record. Yeah. Do you want to walk us through the history a little bit? I know we've talked about valid so much that people are probably tired of hearing about it, but I think it'd be worthwhile to just talk about previous approaches and how that compares to what the FDA is now pursuing. Yeah, no, it's one of those things that I know we've talked about it a lot, but this is so important for all of so us important. in laboratory medicine that it's important that I think it's worth reviewing again. The most important starting point for all of us is to acknowledge that the FDA has asserted all along that it has the authority to regulate laboratory developed tests. So even when we're talking about valid, and I remember people got when we talked about the confusion that somehow that act was going to give the FDA the authority. No, the FDA said it had the authority. Now, mm -hmm. was there risk in acknowledging it? That way, I think people are afraid if we acknowledge it, then it's real. But that's the reality. So, so that's why this has been an issue for so long, is that really, going back to even well into my predecessor as a DLMP chair, which I'm no longer, Dr. Mm -hmm. Cockrell, there were hearings probably around 2010 in D.C. around FDA actually exerting its authority. So the history is, FDA has asserted all along that it has the authority to regulate laboratory-developed tests. It does not need a congressional bill to be passed giving it that authority. It has it, and it claims that if it has the right, it all it has done is ex it has exhibited exercise discretion, discretion. exercise yes. discretion exactly, and mm -hmm. not using that authority. And so, what this proposed rule is, in essence, is saying they are rolling that back. They will now roll that back over a period of time. And they will begin to start to enforce their authority over LDTs. And they have used their discretion to sometimes enforce regulations. I know that they have in the past gone to certain laboratories and told them don't do this test anymore. That's right. And I think that's even where I got confused. It's like, because if the FDA didn't assert they had this authority, then they couldn't do that. Even when there was a proposed rule, they couldn't actually act until it was a final rule, which we can get to. But they, since they said they had, that was like the best example. The most recent was pharmacogenomics, which mm -hmm. was shortly in 2019, shortly before the pandemic, where they were actually the FDA issued cease and desist letters to mm -hmm. laboratories about doing pharmacogenomic testing or giving those results back to patients. So yeah. you're right. They have enforced this before. So now let's bring us up to current day. 
what is going on and what should our listeners know? Well, first of all, so the proposed rule has been, will be part of the public record tomorrow once it's published, right, in the Mm -hmm. Federal Registry. You know, these are all legal documents. And, you know, one of the things that I've come to the realization as I've been engaged is FDA really is a legal organization. So the proposed rule is, I think, 84 pages. And Mm so to read it in depth is the first thing for laboratories is to go to a trusted resource to help inform you about what's actually within that proposed rule. We won't go into all of it now. I don't think we have time. Firstly, even with my travels, I haven't dug into it deeply yet, but there's a lot there, right? So to really be informed about what it contains, number one for labs. Then to know, once it's now a part of the public record, there will be a comment period because the, the process is called comment and rulemaking. So mm-hmm. now there's a proposed rule. It will be open for public comment for 60 days. As of right now, that's what the FDA has said. They've given, which is a shorter window than typical. And then once they get through that, they will then publish the final rule, which then becomes the law. In that intervening period, stakeholders can make comments. I believe it's through the Federal Registry website that they do so. Those will be part of the public record. I do think they are attributed to to your organization, right? Mm -hmm. So it's important to really be sure that if you're speaking on behalf of your organization, that you clear with them because it is part of the public record. It's not like a chat bot. It's not like a a blog or something like that Mm -hmm. or one of those kind of things. It's part of the public record. FDA may choose to meet with stakeholders in that intervening period. They may not. They also, I don't think, are actually required to address all the comments in their final rule, right? So what people should do now is understand Work with your institution and your organization to to under, to and or professional associations like CAP and others to think about how you would register comments if you feel the need to do so. There are other lobbying efforts that you can do in terms of maybe contacting your representatives in Congress to look at can we get that extended to 90 days since it's so impactful for our tests and our organizations and our patients. That's essentially the process as I understand it. Yeah, that's what I understand too, Bill. And you've mentioned a couple of times how impactful this really is to labs and patients. And I think you and I can see that, but maybe for our listeners, do you want to expand upon that a little? What you yeah. know, why would the average laboratory in care if lab developed tests are regulated by FDA? I think it, you know, the short answer is because it's such a higher bar than we're used to validating yeah. our clinical tests to, right? And that's the challenge that we have is that. Yes, FDA has the authority, they claim, to regulate laboratory-developed tests, but they can actually only regulate those tests in a way that they've been approved by Congress, right? Yeah. So that's why valid was important, because it would have give, created a whole new rule set about how FDA could regulate lab-developed tests that would be more specific for lab-developed tests. The challenge that we have now as laboratorians is that the only rules that they actually have are for device regulation, for companies like Roche and others, you mm-hmm. know, logic, how you think about submitting an instrument and a piece of equipment to FDA, that rule set is now going to be you what's applied to the tests that we develop within the laboratory, right? Mm-hmm. So that you can imagine it's, it's a much more stringent set of criteria, probably rightfully so for a piece of equipment. That's one of the things that we just have to recognize that our tests will now be essentially be regulated as medical devices. 
Yeah, I think you really nicely summarized it, Bill. I think of the criteria we use to develop tests, and they are quite rigorous with high quality, but we're not used to being a commercial device manufacturer and spending hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars to go through a FDA submission process. It has time implications. There are different terminologies, different requirements that we're not used to. My concern is that it will have a significant impact on laboratories. Some labs may stop offering certain tests. So that could have a negative impact on patient care. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of implications that we'll mm-hmm. have, to, have to understand. I, I think as people look at it to really think about the, what are some of the things to really pay attention to is what's the timeline for implementation? Because again, this is now a rolling back of their discretionary enforcement. So what's the timeline? What should that look like? What are they proposing? What are some things around grandfathering, right? Which will be super important. What's in there, that's something that they can do, right? That just like you look at like aspirin is a classic drug that got grandfathered. You know, we used it so much. It was in every drugstore kind of thing, right? And then last but not least is really the risk classification because it, we have to, and really understanding it from the device perspective. Again, they look at devices and they say, this device gives a different risk category based on how it's used. That same risk classification will now be used for, if if the proposed rule becomes a final rule, would be the, mm-hmm. the one that would be used, right? So again, just really think about some of the broader issues and how they wouldn't fit or may or may not fit for laboratory-developed tests and use that as a guide to how you think about how you respond if you choose to respond publicly to FDA. But it's really going to set a lot of things in motion here because this is clearly a topic of significant interest for FDA because given the environment in D.C. and the difficulty in getting anything done, including just funding our government, you can imagine there are probably a lot of things that were being pushed onto the White House Office of Management budget to get released. It wasn't just this. There was any kind of of these rules. And so it's something that the FDA is serious about. And and I think that that we just have to, for a long time, we question how big of a deal is this for FDA? Well, clearly it's big enough to get it this far means it has a lot of backing from the agency. Yeah, I agree. It's something that seems to be a high area of interest for the FDA. And we should note that there are a number of stakeholders. In fact, there's patient advocacy groups that some of them are advocating for FDA oversight of lab-developed tests. So I think that's why it's so important that everyone that's going to be looking at this speaks up, anyone that's going to be impacted by this ruling, so that we have the laboratory and view well represented. And our concerns and potentially ways to make it better as well to improve the FDA oversight that does go forth. Having a longer time period would be a good start because clearly 83, 84 pages, that's a lot to get through in a short period of time. Indeed. And I think that's a a really good closing message is that because we've talked about a lot is that if there was ever a time for us to really not be shy and really to, to get engaged, understand what's out there, get engaged, and be an advocate for our profession and our patients, this is an important time to do so. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Bill. That was really informative. Call to action for everyone, and we'll continue to provide updates in our weekly podcasts. Yeah, but I think it's going to be on our minds for a while now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a big topic. All right. Until next time. See you later, Bill. Until next time. See you, Bobby. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.